<laughs> Hello and welcome to Witch Hassle on a fine Halloween's day. <laughs> uh, yay. Um, I am so pleased to bring you a special little Halloween episode of Witch Hassle where I have an interview with Matthew Hatfield about his new book, A Wondrous Spell, Necromancy in the PGM. We're going to talk about raising the dead and what you do in the graveyard. It's going to be really fun. And he also talks a little bit about being um, just a magician in Japan and, and what that's like for him. Uh, so it's a really lovely chat. I'm really glad to bring it to you. Uh, but before we get there, we have to do our Plague Magic Minute. As a special service, which Hassle for the rest of the year is doing a little bit of Plague Magic every episode for you to sprinkle on top of whatever sort of more I guess empirically based, more traditionally medical things you are doing to protect yourself from COVID-19. And today's Plague Magic Minute comes from The Mystery and Art of the Apothecary by C.J.S. Thompson, which was originally published in 1929. And in it, he describes a powder that, according to Schroeder in 1669, was quote, very famous and in high request in England against epidemic distempers, particularly against smallpox and measles. And it was also, quote, highly commended for plague, for, its, for it strengthens the heart and all noble parts, nor is it less esteemed in France by persons that know the virtue of it. And this powder was referred to as Countess Kent's powder, and this is the formula for it. Take the black extremities of the feet of large sea crabs, four ounces, river crab's eyes, eastern pearls, red coral, of each one ounce, white amber, root of contrayerva, vipers, of each six drachms, bezoar stone, three drachms, stag's heart bone, four scruples, saffron, two scruples. Finally, powder. Sprinkle with one and a half ounces of spirit of honey and mix with jelly of vipers. Make into lozenges and dry in the shade to be powdered when used. So for you kids playing at home, that is four ounces of the black extremities of the feet of large sea crabs, one ounce each of river crabs eyes, eastern pearls red coral, six drachms each of white amber, root of contrayerva, and vipers, and then the bezoar stone, the stag's heart bone, the saffron, etc., and so on. Very exciting. So there's your Plague Magic Minute. Very, very crabby, very snaky. Very Scorpio season, I would say. I guess crabs are more cancer. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Now we have my, my interview with Matthew Hadfield. It is a joy to bring this to you, and I hope it gives you a special Halloween thrill to learn more about ancient, ancient ways of working with the dead. Oh, man, I'm really excited to talk about this book. This is such a lovely... <laughs> well, a lovely... Bo booklet. It's not really a book. <laughs> no, it's a short. It's a it's a chapbook. I mean... So my, my friend, um, who, um, who I love very much, who I've sort of been involved with for the last year or two, working on this similar project, I think he coined the phrase uh, a grimlet. 
Like a booklet in a grimoire, yeah. <laughs> it's also just like, it's the baby grimoire that like, you know, it's still cute. <laughs> sort of yeah. got the huge eyes, you know. That's, well, I don't claim that mine, my little booklet is a, a grimoire in itself, but it is a, it is a set of techniques. Yeah. Right. Which is something that's really nice about it, because I feel like, um, I think when people look at something, especially as old as the PGM, and they see this as like a received text, they think, oh, this is the recipe book. I can't trifle with the recipes. I just have to um, oh, no. you know, maybe adapt no. them in as little as possible because, you know, surely I can't get, you know, this, you know, snake skin or the, the skin of a cat or something <laughs> like that. So that, that's, that's the only place where I can draw a line or something like that. But um, yeah, you, you people who are listening, yeah, you should really remove that idea that the PGM is in any way a received text. No, all the elements are there for you to, to pick out and, and uh, splice together as you, as you see fit, really. As long as you follow the, the structures, which are like prevalent throughout most ritual te technologies, then yeah, yeah, that's fine. But yeah, it's not a holy text, like you would say, like, uh, I don't know, like the, the Thelemic texts, you know, they they are like not not to be changed by a letter and all that sort of thing. Yeah. And actually, um, for the the kids who are kind of coming into this PGM, what even what even are those? Where are they from? <laughs> okay. Um, well, the uh, the Greek magical papyri. There are a series of texts that you could probably, I suppose, you could equate them with um, the. Um, the Dead Sea Scrolls. So yeah, they're, they're an equivalent to the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, really, but they're from the uh, the Mediterranean and uh, Hellenistic Egypt, the, that whole area. Um, they were discovered only in, I think, the, the 19th century or so, and they've, they've shed a lot of light on these ancient magical practices from the time. Wonderful things. And I, I don't I love how adaptive they are. Like, I, you know, I think when we sort of think of old things, we think, oh, it's trapped in its own specific little world. But we've got, you know, Greek gods in there, Abrahamic figures. There's mm. like a Gnostic stuff going on. Yeah, well, it's, it's purely syncretic. So the uh, that period of history um, saw a lot of different religions and a lot of different um, cultures all sort of uh, blending into one another. And, uh, yeah, it there's this really interesting idea that you know you don't have to necessarily just work in one system or like with one religious framework and so you see all these different examples of um, different methodologies and different um, spiritual practices blending together in the spells themselves so you'll often see things like uh, um, calls to Adonai and Hecate and uh, Mikael all sort of wrapped up in the same spell yeah it's nice to see them getting along um <laughs> yeah and is that i mean is that what attracted you to the pgm just this sort of like beautiful syncretic thing that's going on or like where's where's the fascination for you in particular with that for me personally i suppose what's really interesting about um these texts is it, it offers us this window into what I would really say is like a more genuine Western spiritual or Western magical approach or technology. What what we have 
today or modern modern techniques, modern spiritual practices, magical practices uh, tend to have had a lot of things redacted or removed. Um, you know, Christianity has in many ways um, oppressed or uh, suppressed a lot of um, these magical technologies throughout history. And um, what we see with the, the Greek magical papyri is sort of like, a, it's like a real, <laughs> it's a more genuine practice. Yeah, it's a more genuine uh, examination of what magical technologies are, you know, before they were subjected to centuries of, uh, of suppression. And it, it also it allows us to look at these different cultures and different uh, societies all over the ancient world and sort of see uh, what the the magical practices were like as opposed to their religious practices because um, usually the religious practices that survive to today um, have been sort of approved by their, uh, their government at the time or uh, approved by the state um, and so especially with like classical Greek religion we, we only see the whitewashed uh, versions of of these gods whereas when you look at the more practical folk magic side of things which is what the the pgm is we see a more genuine a more genuine practice of like um i think what's the better way of saying it like local cults or the mm -hmm. way that local people practiced and uh, their religion and practiced their magic i mean i when i think of like the authors of, of like the pgm i think of like sort of the Greco-Egyptian equivalent of like the local cunning man or something like that, where very much like magicians for hire a little bit. Though I don't know, maybe you would disagree with that characterization. I don't know. How do you how do you feel about it? I think the the general consensus or the general idea is that the individuals who were penning these spells were probably priests that had lost their jobs and needed to make some money. You know, so I suppose, yeah, you could you could say that it's uh, very similar to like a modern cunning man equivalent. Yeah. But actually, no, you say that it sounds more like like a mob doctor, you know, where you sort of like, oh, I, I lost my medical license. So now I, I <laughs> saw a bullet wings out of this vet clinic or something. Um, yeah, well, you know, you've got to eat. So people uh, people still needed the priest to do things. And uh, at the time, you know, there was so much cultural upheaval. So uh, these priests, you know, they uh, they they had the, the the people, you know, knew that they had these uh, had the magical powers, especially with like the the Egyptian priests. You know, their entire religion is is very magical. Um, it's the you know arguably one of the the primary roots of our entire tradition. So um, the people back then who were practicing these, you know, they they still needed to get laid and get paid. So. Uh, you know, they could find these these priests and uh, and use them. But um, as for the, the, the way that the texts themselves um, are written, I mean, I think in many cases it might not necessarily have been that these were like secret texts just mm. for the priests. So I think in many cases they were guides and they could essentially be uh, used to help people by guiding them through a process. So if I wanted something from you as a priest, I could go to you and say, hey, I need X, Y, and Z. And then you could refer to the correct text and teach me. And then I would go off and do my own my own ma magical ritual or whatever as a lay person. I mean, of course, the, the priest could also, of, of course, would perform these. But you can imagine maybe there was different amounts of money involved 
in yeah. each in each transaction. This particular working, it's very it's robust, it's complicated. There's a lot of technology. Mm. Oh in, yeah. <laughs> is that is that what attracted you to this? Because I mean, there's so much PGM. You know, of all the PGM in all the world, is this what made you settle on this one? Or well, you know, I honestly. When I began writing this, it was just as a little pet side project, uh, <laughs> um, just something I wanted to share with, uh, you know, the collective of people that I, I'm talking to online. And um, after a while, I thought, well, maybe there's something more I can develop with this. And then I ended up um, talking to Hidden Press and they were like, oh, this looks really interesting. We should probably try and beef this up a little bit and make it into something a bit more. But um, the uh, the text itself, yeah, is a perfect example of necromantic practices in the PGM. There are many, many other examples, but the reason I settled on this one specifically was because I think it's a fantastic showcase. It literally has well, almost every practice or every technological component in it that you really need to start necromancy. In, in your, I think it's in your introduction. I'm hoping it's in your introduction because now I'm going to be embarrassed if it's not. Somewhere <laughs> in there. Um, I have to remember it all as well. So. <laughs> In it, you mentioned this idea that at this time, necromancy was sort of lumped into the general sort of goetic idea. And I think that might be a bit surprising for folks a little bit. I mean, mm. once again, mental mischaracterization. But like, because I think a lot of people, when they hear like Goetia, they they think immediately just demons. Top <laughs> the well, and like the only like time the demons might meet the dead is when you get like, um, was it Astaroth? in the Grimorium Verum, who's the sort of go-to demon for talking to dead people? <laughs> oh, maybe. <laughs> There's a few. There's a few that have that uh, have that role. I think what most people think of when they hear the word Goetia is they think of the Ars Goetia, or the, the Lamegaton, which is um, a, a very, very modern text. Um, I mean, it, it was written in vernacular English, so, you know, it's not it was redacted and there was there was a lot um, Veyer essentially maybe maybe did a, he deliberately did a bad job of, of putting that book together <laughs> but, um, but um, not arguably but Goetia as as I am talking about it is about the ancient Greek practices and um, for the viewers who might be interested in learning more about it I couldn't recommend the works of uh, Jake Stratton Kent any higher, um, especially his Gia Sophia um, and Testament of Cyprian the Mage, um, if you're interested in learning more. But essentially, yeah, ancient Goetic practices are really, they, they, they go back all the way into prehistory and they are fundamentally concerned with working with the dead. It's not about 72 demons in a grimoire, a modern grimoire. Uh, although it, it, it elements of it have survived and that's why I'm interested in it and the Greek magical papyri have many such examples of this ancient Goetia um, and the those sort of practices um, which were funerary practices or working with the dead. You can see some elements that have survived into the modern grimoires, some, some uh, demons if that's what we'll call them, some demons from the, uh, the, uh, the, the modern Goetic grimoires have some sort of coded elements to them about swapping bodies in graveyards or things like that you know so they're, they're, there's some parts in there that, that survived and the technologies are very similar but there were no there were no grimoires uh, when the 
the Greek magical papyri was written. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and no one was summoning demons because the very idea that we have of demons as they exist today was just didn't exist. The, the root of the word demon is daimon, and the Greeks understood a daimon more to be sort of a, a personal spirit or a, a spirits that inhabited the air around us. There wasn't much of a distinction. And when Christianity, Judaism um, sort of started flourishing uh, in the, the period of the magical papyri were written, uh, there were things like angels and, and those the messengers, but there aren't really many hard hard lines between them that sort of separate them. They're uh, very nebulous. So today we have angels and demons and elementals, but you know, 2,000 years ago it was more of uh, it was it was it wasn't quite as specific in the way that they were they were codified. And that's more what I'm interested in. I'm more interested in the idea that these uh, spiritual creatures, if that's what you, I, I just, I just umbrella term them all as spirits. Mm, okay. You know, and um, even the dead are spirits. So there's no, uh, there's no need to worry when you're, when you're, you know, you are essentially working with uh, fairly dangerous spirits when you're working with, say, uh, the uh, the Asgoisha or the Grimirum Verum. Uh, some of them, some of them can be um, very lovely to work with, and some of them can be fairly dangerous. But I would say mostly they're ambivalent to people. But you know, there's there's a reason you have to do go through all the the calls and everything. You know, when you're when you're attempting to summon one, uh, because generally they don't they don't really want to be trapped in one place. They don't want to be confined. Um, yeah. So yeah. The, the general idea is that daemons are, are just mostly just just spirits. So yeah, I think this is maybe a pers- perhaps a good a good segue into this. But you also sort of you 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 tease at a notion that I'd love to hear more about. But this idea that like it would be more beneficial <clears throat> to us as as people who work with spirits not to adopt a sort of cosmology that's based sort of on the Kabbalistic cross with this idea of, you know, there's there's Earth and there's the celestial and we're sort of, you know, going up and down between those two, but rather a sort of three worlds kind of concept yeah. of spirit. Like how like talk about that a little bit. Like what how do you conceive of that and like how would that be of use to us as someone who is trying to do necromancy for fun and profit? Well um well, I think the, the ultimate argument that I'm trying to make is that a more genuine Western practice must account for the afterlife and it must account for the dead, for ancestor work and all that. And without it, we are we're, we're missing this vast area of really what the, the, the actual the, the initial practice was. The, the initial practice of working goetic magic is working funerary rites and working with the dead and necromancy. If you look at the diagram of the tree of life, where's the underworld? You know, and and modern left-hand pathers uh, like to use the idea of the tree of death and flip it and talk about the clip off, but that that's a misunderstanding of the of the genuine concept. What I'm trying to say is that with the with a three worlds model, we we can easily account for the dead and you know the underworld and all of those gods and spirits you know and then we've also got our terrestrial plane where we have you know elementals and all the rest of that and then we have the air uh, or the celestial 
we have everything else above us, which is ultimately uh, ruled over by the moon, the phases of the moon. And in that model, you have everything. You, it's very simple. It works with myth and it works with practical work. It has almost everything you need and you don't have to bother learning all the Hebrew and the paths, all those sort of things. I mean, if you're interested in doing those things, that's that's wonderful and fantastic. And, and you know, I, I support you and anyone who's listening, if that's what you're interested in, that's that's wonderful. But what I'm what I'm attempting to get at with this uh, little booklet uh, is to sort of tell people that 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 isn't the only way that isn't the only way. And in fact, it's also it's a very modern way. And the way that the Golden Dawn uh, utilized that to the exclusion of everything else seems to have whitewashed over the dead, which, mm. yeah, which is, like I said, it's, a, it's a, the, one of the most vital practices that we can work. I think um, Al Cummings uh, mentions that there's this idea of the, the ambient dead, um, which is just that you know even not necessarily you're working with one specific uh deceased person but literally the land itself is infused with the dead the earth mm. the soil is made of the dead you know uh, it literally surrounds us in in everywhere um and so by learning to to work with that is really the foundation of the practice so for the last i want to say for the last 2 years uh, what happened was I was getting all carried away with myself trying to work with grimoires, more, more modern grimoire work. But I had no fundamental practice. I'd been getting into more and more into ceremonial magic, but I realized it was that, you know, it's the Golden Dawn, you know, flavored ceremonial magic. And this model that they had just wouldn't allow me to to work with the sort of spirits that I was in, more interested in. <laughs> You know, or, you know, you're sort of, um, you know, people think, oh, you know, that's, you know, morally <laughs> not acceptable or, you know, whereas, um, yeah, th this, the, the very idea of working with the dead as a foundational practice then allows you after you, you've established this to then start working your way up towards working something more akin to uh, like a real, like a working proper go goetic magic. And so. Uh, the goal for me is the the grimoire and verum. I'm still in the process of building my tools and and getting getting towards it, but I've already begun the work in some ways. Uh, but yeah, for me, this is uh, it's like a it's almost been like a meditation, really, uh, a two year long meditation on working with my ancestors and getting to know where I'm from and getting to know about you know like the the way you can use magic without having to go through all the ceremonial bells and whistles first you know so it's 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 the best way i think for anyone who's interested in starting to to work with magic is to start initially before you do anything else i would say just uh, start working with your immediate deceased ancestors and and through that you can uh, you can develop the rest of your practice and um, an interesting point is that uh, you know it, it can take hours and hours to do a full ceremonial evocation and then maybe it will work <laughs> you know uh, yeah and if even if it does show up and you're like oh wow and then you know maybe the results that you get are like totally you know oh wow that was a complete you know waste but the dead 
especially your immediate relatives, your immediate deceased family, they have a vested interest in in your success. And they will more readily come when called to. And you don't have to have all the tools and, you know, all the, you know, the black knife and the, the, the hazel wand. And, you know, it's literally you can just sit with a candle and a photo of that person and you can start the magic. You bring up the, the, the trouble of developing, you know, a toolkit for, you know, the, the fancy knife. The, the special wand and all that stuff. But something I really like about, about this Grimoirlet, is that, is that the term you were? Grimlet. Grimlet. Uh, this, this cute little <laughs> Grimlet is, um, now I'm just picturing the, the animals from that Star Wars movie that were, they made puffins CGI. It doesn't matter. Anyway, um, <laughs> something I really uh, like about this book is, is, is talking about adaptation and, and sort of, you know, like changing how we conceive our materia and um mm. i think again you know folks who are like the pgm it's old it's important it's full of secrets um they're they're going to you know maybe try to stick to the recipes as much as possible but like when you're making substitutions like what is your what is your sort of thought process there is it is it that this sort of looks like this is it this has a spirit to it that i can talk to and i can get it to do the same thing like how do you relate to material it's sort of like an animistic idea of like you know every rock every tree every herb that i'm going to use i'm going to talk to a little bit and say like hey do you want to participate <laughs> in this ritual with me could use your could use your help for a second well yeah so the the more modern ceremonial magic i like a practical thing to do for most people is to just open uh, Libra 777 and see what corresponds to what and you know that that's good when you're starting out because it gives you a foundational understanding of, of some of those uh, correspondences um, but when I talk about using materia yeah it is it is definitely the uh, more animistic approach it doesn't necessarily mean that x has to equal y um, you know, there's spirits that you can communicate with through divination to find these things for yourself, you know, and, you know, you're not going to find like different equivalent materia for grave dirt and clay in most of the uh, like hermetic or uh, Golden Dawn style rituals. So, yeah, when you when you approach this materia, whatever it might may be. It's something that you feel resonates with or connects with whatever it is that you want to, to do. So you can approach that materia and initially, depending on what you feel its elemental aspects are, potentially, you can then sort of make an appeal to the spirit before you, you harvest it, before you take it. Uh, you could say a prayer in front of it or you can just, you know, leave an offering as thank you, you know, to the, the local spirits. So we should talk about grave dirt because that's <laughs> that's one of the, the big ones. Um, and my good friend Andres will laugh when he hears that because he thinks everything I do is about grave dirt. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, it's really useful. Well, yeah. When when you approach a graveyard, there's uh, there's also this, the specific things that you, you should really uh, take note of and that you should do when you approach when you enter the main entranceway, you should leave 
uh, a small offering to the the guardian of the the gate to the the graveyard and uh, one thing that I do here is we have a little Japanese one pennies or like one penny coins um, they're very very tiny and very light but you just take three of those and you just leave them at the door at the entranceway and when you go to actually take grave dirt it depends on the the type of grave that you're approaching or you're going to uh, the the one of the biggest problems in Japan for me is that people are all uh, cremated uh, so there's no there's no graves like uh, we have in the west um, but even so you know you know even in the west people are um, filled with uh, flamildehyde or whatever and you know so there's not like they're they're immediately decomposing into the soil but it's the the material that matters um, so you you can take that materia from around the grave that's fine or around the gravestone that's okay that's all acceptable but again leave offerings uh say say thank yous and that or and even really you should learn some kind of divination technique that allows you for quick yes and no answers i like to flip a flip a coin or a series of coins uh but you can uh, you can approach and, and if you get the no you know you should leave that grave alone you know so there's you know it depends on how much of a super evil necromancer you want to be you know because there are you know it, it's possible to to take any spirit from that area that you want and and bind it if that's what you're in if that's what you want to do but the uh what i talk about in my little booklet is the vengeful spirits mm. and uh or spirits of those who have died an untimely death uh, which means usually uh, women who haven't given birth or uh, uh, those sort of things. Um, uh, warriors who've died in battle, maybe that they're also also useful. So yeah, so you can you you those kind of spirits are more readily uh, will more readily uh, work with you because uh, they have sort of a, a vendetta or they have something that they want to accomplish in life mm -hmm. so they're they're more readily come to you but the 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 grave dirt itself once you've taken it and you've you've given your thanks to it yeah you, you should treat it as uh like a as a holy you know you should really look after it and protect it it's not it's not something you just uh, stick in your pocket and walk out with and then yeah when you when you do take it you leave but you have to leave through uh, a different a different exit or a different way don't go out through the main through the main gate yeah. And 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 even then, when you, you get back to your house or wherever it is that you're doing your ritual, you can uh, leave offerings to it and sort of appease it and, you know, give it uh, food and candle light and that. Um, and eventually, you know, when you feel the time is right or when you need it, then you can utilize it as a, as the materia. So but, the, you know, other materia uh, things we can talk about are things like rainwater, uh, river water, well water. Uh, from hot springs and uh, I live in, uh, in I live in Japan so there's there's a lot of hot spring water um, mm. um, and especially where I live there's a it just there's a big fountain that just like it's flowing out of so every now and then I just go down and I just get a big I've got one of those big like incense jugs that I uh, I can just take down um, and just fill it up you know yeah, and then you know all those different types of material also have their own uses. Well water being specifically chthonic, so you can use that with any sort of work that you're doing with necromancy. Yeah, um, other materia. Yeah, there's there's literally everything. The whole universe is materia. 
everything is is numinous in some way so yeah. um it's 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 about your approach to how you want to work with that so like a, an interesting one that i just just done now recently is my father passed away two weeks ago and i had to go back to the uk to uh to a to be with him before and then after for the funeral and uh my father's flower was the sunflower he he loved growing sunflowers and so after the funeral i took one of the sunflowers from the the bouquet of, of all the flowers that we had out and uh, and i kept it and i'm going to I'm drying it out right now and I'm going to use that as a as an incense to to contact the spirits of the dead and Helios in the underworld being the the sun in the you know the sun in the underworld and and for me that feels like this really strong connection you know so depending on your relatives or you know the the dead that you're working with it's the sort of material that you'll be working with will be like unique to to you as well that's really that's really a lovely thought. In terms of the timing of things, a little bit, you know, we, we touched on this briefly with this idea. You no, know, if you if you do a, a three world model, then the moon is your big command center for timing celestial bits and bobs. But when we're talking about things that are happening way down underground, where's our where's our big clock for that? So, for instance, you can work with Hecate, the Titan Hecate, at the the new moon. And she, she's really one of the the big the big spirits you wanna you would definitely wanna get involved with her and Helios, yeah, because she she is uh, the Titan of the Moon. Helios is the Titan of the Sun. And for timing wise, yeah, you um, while the Moon is waxing, um, you can work with her in a, a positive or like creative sense. Um, and when the moon is waning, you can work with the more destructive natures uh, or like binding, those sort of things. Um, and yeah, so that, that would be my immediate go to with with working with the moon. And, you know, the, there's a lot of grimoires, you know, that uh, especially the uh, Hygromantia, I think, that has a lot of different information about what the different phases of the moon look like and what what you can do when the moon is in a certain zodiac. So, yeah, you can definitely go and look up that kind of information and, you know, be aware, you know, there's no consensus on a lot of it. And we're still sort of trying to rebuild a lot of this uh, this technology because we uh, we don't know a lot. Not, we don't know as much um, as we used to on the subject. But, um, you know, I, I encourage experimentation and, and that the uh, <laughs> the the grimoires, the more modern grimoires suggest, you know, working every other day on a, you know, on a waxing moon, those, those sort of um, those sort of periods. But for me, really, like I said, with the materia not necessarily being um, so so strict, you know, in what it means, X, Y and Z, because it, it's more um, I mean, of course, there are still some correspondences that work but um when it comes to working with the moon you're really talking about like opening a liminal space so you're opening a space where there's something some kind of transition occurring so that's why when the moon goes from you know being uh, new to waxing or you know vice versa those are the periods really when you can you can work more uh, potent magic as it were Speaking of adaptation too, I mean, you're, you know, these are texts that are written around the Mediterranean 
you're in Japan. You've talked a little bit about the idea of like it's harder to find grave dirt um, as such because of because of the the burial practices. But like when you're doing the, the this magic in Japan, do you feel like you have to sort of adapt any of it to sort of local cultural things? To I mean, are you working with local kami at all or anything like that? Or this is another subject that I absolutely adore, and it's the reason that I live here. And I didn't just live here for a year or two, but decided to just live here because I adore it. The Japanese are born Shinto, they get married Christian, and they die Buddhist. But you'll never meet a religious person. Uh, They're almost entirely secular, really. Um, But they have this very strong sense of animism. Mm. As an example, my fiance and I, um, when uh, she throws away an item of clothing or shoes or something like that, we always bow to it and say thank you. Oh, that's that's really right? sweet. Yeah, and that's what she does. She's taught me how to do this, and it's like this grat- this idea of gratitude and being grateful for everything that's come into your life. You don't necessarily have to do it with clothes. You can do it with everything, you know. So, of course, when you move into a new house, which I did last year, the first thing you should do, and and this isn't just necessarily in Japan. I mean, this is a good practice to do in the West as well, but you have house spirits you know people have lived there probably have lived there before unless you just built a new house and if you just built a new house then you should really really do something because you've just built a new house on some some spirit's land you know that someone's some spirit's been living there you know so again like i said before about with the grave dirt you know you you begin by welcoming them or introducing yourself leaving some offerings you know and uh, and introducing yourself to them and then especially as somebody who's working magic you you really have to say hey you know i'm gonna be doing x y and z here so you know let's you know let's let's make sure we're on the same page and we're not going to have any any you know conflicts of interest um and sometimes you know in my previous apartment where i used to live here there was a i got it very cheap it was it was a really nice apartment. It was very, very cheap for what I was, uh, you know, for the, the size of the place. But it was cheap because somebody had committed suicide there ooh, maybe maybe five years before I moved in. And it had been empty the whole time because generally speaking, the Japanese don't want to live somewhere where there's been a suicide. And the landlord has to tell the prospective person that's coming to move in that there has been one in the property but i heard all i heard was how cheap the place was and i was just like great (laughs) sign me up but when i moved into there i honestly there was no issue we didn't have any problems with anything um in fact the the place i'd originally moved into was more had more spooky things going on but this uh this place what i did was the first as soon as i moved in um, I just left out some some gifts and said to the spirit there, hey, you know, I hope you're 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 OK and I hope you're not in distress or you're, there's nothing, you know, no, there's nothing wrong or anything. And, and I hope that I can help you. And essentially what I did was after a couple of days of, of leaving offerings to the spirit, I uh, I used some divination to make sure that the spirit was happy. And I got this string of positives uh, that everything was fine. And what I did was I took the spirit into a small vessel 
mm. um, where I left the offerings. And then I again asked its permission if I could take it outside and yes. And then I took it to a small stream that ran by the side of my apartment and I just let it out. I just let it out into the stream and I just said, you know, take care and <laughs> let there be peace between thee and me, you know? That is the tenderest exorcism I have ever heard in my life. That is. So this is my approach. I don't like to stand in front of the, in the circle in a triangle and go, Oi, you know, get in the triangle now or I'll burn you in hell for eternity. You know, that that's not the way I approach magic and it never has been. And it was one of the biggest turnoffs for me, really. Of course, in some situations when you are working more formal ceremonial magic, you do have to, you do have to abide by the rules because some of those spirits are dangerous. So you do need the ring, for instance, and you do you do need some of those items, you know, or you, you, you know, some of them aren't very nice to people. So <laughs> um, right. you, you do have to be careful. But, you know, in this one case of, of just talking about general animism and uh, house care, then uh, then, yeah, you, you can definitely approach from uh, from that. The medium into which I I I moved the spirit was honeyed water or water taken from a well or taken from a a spring and with just a little bit of pure honey and then the that that's a wonderful little offering that you can leave for spirits of the dead and it will you know be very happy with that and a little tea light candle yeah that's all you need really but um the streets in general in my area or generally in japan you will see these little statues of uh, a little they look like a little buddha with a little red apron and a little red hat and they're called the the jizo sama they are spirits of the dead that can ferry souls to the afterlife and they're the only spirit or the only kami in uh, in japanese mythology that can traverse from heaven to hell if you know there's the equivalent of japanese in japanese but they uh they're they're very important to seek out when you you do move into your house there will be one around somewhere uh we have like a nice little shrine uh in just on the a t-junction just down the corner um and so uh you know when i moved in i took some offerings there as well and said hey i'm moving in you know and you know let you know i hope that i don't disturb you <laughs> and uh and so um traditionally what i've been doing is uh, the new year uh, the new year festival new year celebration you you meant to go to your local shrine or temple whichever you're more inclined to and go and pray or buy like little gifts or like uh they're called omamori the like little um protective amulets or little charms that can like help you if you want to get pregnant or if you want to pass your exams but what i do is i i go around the block and i i go and leave little offerings at all the little ha- uh, little spirit houses which are dotted around my my area and i just sort of say thank you and you know let's have a nice a nice year and uh yeah i mean since i've been doing this i my life's been very prosperous and very happy so i can't recommend it enough if that's something you're interested in trying i mean it's always good to make friends in the neighborhood yeah i mean if you're in the west you can just look out for some areas that you feel are more oh, numinous than the rest so if there's a nice tree in your area like a big oak tree or something or if there's a graveyard near where you live or if there's you know any of those sort of hot spots you know just do a walk around the block and uh, and and see and just sort of get a feel for the the magical landscape where you live what what weeds are growing what 
you know, flowers can you see, you know, those sort of things, you know, and then you can sort of build on that geography and, and move that out to the rest of your city or town, wherever you live. And, uh, and you can find where the spirits like to hang out more. And then, you know, if you have a specific, you know, request or some, something, then you've got a, a location, um, you know, things like even mundane places, you know, a bank, if there's a bank near you or even a, just an ATM machine or something, you know, that's a jovial area. That's a, there's money involved. There's, yeah. you can take dirt from in front of that. And uh, there you go. You've got some, some money, money dirt, you know, that you can use if you're, if you need some money in a, if you're in a, you know, a tight spot at some point in your life or something, or, you know, if there's uh, a school nearby, then you, you can take some dirt from the front of there and you've got something that's more mercurial or, you know, something that's more, um, you know, something if you're doing something with education, you know, so it, it's all about feeling out your environment, you know. If you were making, so like, you know, grave dirt, you know, we, 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 we make offerings to it in part because it's sort of a, uh... Oh God! Sorry, I'm having a flashback to to having the same conversation twenty times in college. Of this one's synecdoche, this one's metonymy. Um, uh, grave dirt is potentially a metonymy with the dead person we're talking about. But when we when we when we interact with the dirts that we find that have you know say a jovial quality, a mercurial quality, are we treating those sort of as things that are linked to they're sort of a tether to the spirit, the larger idea or spirit of Jupiter or, or Mercury, or are we treating those as sort of, you know, the local uh, dignitary from the, the embassy of Jupiter who's going to sort of, you know, we, we talk to the dirt specifically like, hello, dirt, I make an offering to you, not to Jupiter. I, you, you're going to, I'm going to grease your palm and you're going to talk to the boss maybe on my behalf or do something here. Exactly. So um, the idea in magic, even with, um, like the modern grimoires, what I'm finding more and more is this idea of intermediary spirits. So for every spirit that you want to contact, there's a spirit that you have to contact first. Mm. You know, there's always this element of intermediary nature. And so you find like you've got like presidential councils and uh, the messengers and, you know, you've got all these other spirits that you have to sort of like chum up to first before you can like summon the kings, you know. And of course, yeah, in, in your local area, if you're going to the just the, the ATM down the road and you're just going to get some some dirt from in front of there. Yeah, you you are initially saying hello to the spirit of that ATM machine. You're saying hey to, to them. And then you can just work with that spirit alone. You know, you don't have to go all the way up to talking about you know, talking to Jove, you know, or, you know, an equivalent God. I mean, you can if you're interested in theurgy, you know, but I mean, what I'm doing isn't so much like that. You know, like I said, it, it's terrestrial. It's more uh, down to earth. It's, you know, pick, picking up bits off the floor, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know um, and, you know, there's like uh, one thing I, I used to do, you know, like, um, you know, you, you can go to a specific place that you have a an interest in in regard to a goal and sort of like meditate there and sort of see what's there and just hang out. So like in a, if you're in a, you're taking a test and you're in a test hall, you know, there's a lot of people who've taken tests and there's a lot of people who've made wishes to pass tests in there. It makes sense. You know, there'll be some kind of test passing spirit, uh, maybe, maybe hanging around, you know, so 
you know, even in those environments, in those situations, you know, whatever that might be, you know, you can find you can find some kind of uh, helper, say helper, you know, you, you might have to press gang them into service sometimes. But, you know, <laughs> um, you know, that that kind of approach, yeah, is is much more the way I, I, I deal with things. Have you ever I'm a thought is occurring to me with this that um, have you ever sort of used this in a kind of anachronistic way on yourself? Like if you say went to say your own former apartment to talk to the spirit of yourself from a previous time, this might be an insane idea because this is only occurring to me now. It might be. Yeah. (laughs) No, I haven't, I haven't tried that, but um, yeah, if anyone's listening and they want to try, yeah, go, go have fun. (laughs) If you do, please do reach out to the show. We will, we will, we will publish your <laughs> yeah yeah no i i haven't tried any uh time time travel no <laughs> uh, um, next interview when you when you've maybe that'll be the next the next uh grimlet so <laughs> something that that you one of the, there are a bunch of technologies in this just whooping back real fast there are a bunch of technologies in here but something that i that i feel like people don't talk about enough and i am so pleased that it it's in it's in this amalgam is is not magic because it's it's such an old such an old technology and i feel like it's really fallen out of favor except in sort of like you'll see it i think in like sort of in folk catholic traditions the idea of like knotting your own rosary and getting the prayers in there that way do you do you make a lot of use of not magic outside of say this exact right um if i'm honest no i haven't used it that much but i have used it yeah but it it, the the elements that of not magic that are in this specific booklet i'm not entirely sure of their origin um i think it's gnostic in origin because it's linked with uh, abrasax i even mentioned afterwards i'm not entirely sure of the 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 origin of of that but it is interesting that there's 365 knots that need to be tied uh and linking it to the year and you know potentially like the moon and the sun and all that sort of things but no um as far as uh not magic itself though um yes it, it it's still quite prevalent and popular in modern witchcraft you know um for binding and uh, and tying people to to a desire and that, that sort of thing. So, yeah, the, there's a lot of applications that you can do with knot magic. You know, you can tie tie materia up. You can tie up um, spells if you want to write out a spell and then you you tie it up. There's even I, I suppose um, you know uh, the I mentioned as well the defixione the the little lead tablets. You know, it's used with one of those in this spell. So I imagine you can you could try that out as well. Um, so you could not something while chanting, you know, in a graveyard. So you, you could uh, you could make a spell and you could uh, sit and you could use it as a mantra. And every time you finish them, one set of the mantra, you tie another knot. All all wonderful technology that you can apply if you if you want to, to try any of that out. And also just, it's nice that, you know, this idea of like, can magic be, magic can be very expensive, you know, this idea of like, oh, you need gold and you need, you know, a sword or something. But it's also like, or a bit of string and just a lot of time on your hands. Well, yeah, well, like the sword and the crown are materia in the way I approach magic. 
so the the crown and the sword and all the other tools have uh you know in a a spirit of them not necessarily a spirit i mean you could potentially work with them that way yeah you don't need to get the the diamond studded headband and all those sort of those tools you can if you want to and if you can afford those things wow <laughs> amazing <laughs> uh, but personally i've never seen the need to 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 use um so much of that as an example to to go back to something that you were mentioning before another friend of mine online uh, was using a, a, a right from the pgm where there was a need for the sacrifice of a chicken hmm. And so what he did was, um, and it's something similar to what I do as well. I can explain that later. But he used a, a, a rubber squeaky chicken and he uh, he blessed it and sanctified it as you would uh, to make it, you know, to confirm it as materia. And then he sacrificed that in the ritual to good effect. <laughs> God, I Which is why I love him, because that's absolutely wonderful. <laughs> I, I almost wrote that in the booklet, but I was told by the editor, no. <laughs> this is serious stuff. You don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so as an example for what I've done in the past is um, you need some some esoteric uh, ingredient. So you need a, the blood of a black cat. Now, I, I own a black cat. Um, but I'm not qualified in any way to take blood from her, nor would I really want to. I just, you know, it, I, it doesn't feel uh, it doesn't feel right to me to do that sort of thing. And, you know, you do have to be careful with blood when you're working with magic, of course. But, you know, there are certain spells and things, you know, for ingredients that you need them. The way I approach it is uh, you can make equivalence to that blood. So when you look at the other things that are associated with the cat blood, let's say the, the black handled knife um, from uh, from the grimoires, you know, there's, there's different ingredients depending on different grimoires. But, you know, one of the sets of ingredients is uh, bl uh, black cat's blood and henbane. Right. So what I what I would do would be uh, to make a, a clay cat from uh, like a river, if you go find a river and you find some natural clay um, and then make a cat and make sure it's hollow in the inside uh, before you attach the head and then fill it with black cat hair, black cat nails, uh, black cat urine, if you can get it, um, you know, all the uh, peripheral things to a black cat uh, and mix it with henbane juice like henbane if you've like boiled some up you know you've got some henbane um, leaves or whatever you mash them up and then mix it all up then in a separate ritual you can breathe life into the cat you know paint it black and give it a name or whatever and then what you do is then when the formal ceremony arrives for you to to consecrate the knife you take the knife and you just chop off the head of the the uh, the clay cat and then use the 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 liquid on the inside as the as the blood quote unquote blood and then there you go you and of course confirm all these things with the spirits as you go but there are ways of of getting around these impossible uh ingredients you know like a 
is it like a, I think it's a the brain of an eagle or something, the brain of a hawk, you that know, and uh, yeah, like crocodiles' teeth and you know, like things that you know. Um, you know, another good friend of mine. Um, uh, recently, we were having a discussion where I was saying one of the 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 elements of the material was um, oh gosh, which um, which temple was it in Egypt? There was a specific temple in Egypt uh, to a specific god that I'm sorry I can't remember right now. Um, let's say I don't know Osiris, where you needed grave dirt from that specific temple to to use in the in the spell. And I was like, well, you know, guess I'm going to have to book a trip to Egypt. And he was like, no, don't be silly. Just, you know, you're a magician. Just get some dirt and consecrate it as a priest of that temple. Mm. You know, and dedicate the dirt to that god, you know. And then you've got the materia. So, you know, there are techniques and methods that you can you can apply in, uh, to, to finding these these strange uh ingredients which is really i mean it just gives a person hope to know that everything is infinitely (laughs) adaptable um we're coming up on on an hour here so i feel like i should i should let you go but before we do the book is lovely if people want to know more about you more about the book and 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 what you're doing where should they go what should they do i don't have much of a presence online (laughs) i don't have a website i don't have anything really uh, I don't have a blog. I am a moderator on um, Ceremonial Magic School on Facebook. I'm also a moderator on Grimoires and Grimoire Magic, I think. I think that's what it's called. Um, so you can look out for me there. I post there uh, regularly. And as for what I'm working on next, I have a small collection of things uh, <laughs> that I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in. And it's all um, tangentially um, related. Uh, let's see, what can I what can I tell you? <laughs> so more uh, more medieval uh, grimoire magic, I suppose, is uh, uh, again linked to necromancy uh, in in a lot of a lot of ways. And um, yeah, I've got something else that I'm thinking about working on that has to do with the uh, the grimoire verum. But again, there's going to be a lot more experimentation personal experimentation and i actually have to start working the grimoire properly before i can publish anything about it <laughs> so um yeah <laughs> i i feel like you're gonna have like a very good take on that once you have well, your hands you know deep into the the strange inner you know the the grimoire vera murder stick and all that <laughs> well yeah but um i do have to thank jake stratton ken for really changing my perspectives of uh, of the way I approached magic. I already had this animistic tendency, but it was only after I read his work, oof, maybe I want to say six or seven years ago now, um, that that really changed the course of the way I approach magic, and it actually got me really working magic, you know, like not once every couple of months when everything, all the the timings were all perfect and you know, it actually got me doing magic every day, you know, and then, uh, you know, you can really see the benefits to approaching the world in this in this way, in this way that everything is numinous and 
uh, like we mentioned, the three worlds model of the universe, you know, dropping all the 19th century lodge magic stuff, essentially. Yeah. So um, if your readers are interested, um, I, I really recommend the work of Jake Strand Ken. Everyone should have a copy of the Greek Magical Papyri. Get your hands on um, another one I really recommend is the excellent book by uh, by um, Al Cummings. Definitely get your hands on that. Um, and yeah, um, don't let don't let the last century or two centuries of magic, formal magic, like sort of getting the way of you actually doing magic. Get out there, get out there and, and, and start working it. Hell yeah. That's yeah. The first rule of magic is have fun and be yourself. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Which is also, I think, the first rule of Fight Club. So um, <laughs> thank you so much for doing this. This was just this was super fun. And congratulations on the book. Um, everyone should go buy it, especially because I didn't realize it was part of the the Hadean uh, Guide to the Underworld series. So like what I was expecting this to be like a like a sort of expensive tome. And it was I think the ebook was a buck fifty. So you have no excuse not to buy this book. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's very cheap, so go and buy it, and buy one for your friend. <laughs> you know, Christmas is just around the corner. Also, New Year's. I don't know. Make gifts for New Year's. It's it's fun to do. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. All right. Thank you very much too. Thank you so much to Matthew Hadfield. Be sure to check out his book from Hadean Press. A wondrous spell, necromancy in the PGM. For his recommendation, check out the works of Jake Stratton Kent. Um, I'm gonna have a link to Jake Stratton Kent's Scarlet Imprint page, and also to, of course, where you can get Matthew's book in the show notes. ID Impress is doing; they just published a collected Jake Stratton Kent. I don't know what's in there, but that sounds worth checking out. And also, I'll I'll, I'll put some links in the show notes to the two Facebook pages that Matthew moderates ceremonial magic school and goisha and grimoire magic and this has been witch hassle if you if you like the show if you like what it does by all means go to patreon.com slash witch hassle and maybe throw a few dollars or leave a review on itunes and let understand the reviews help people find the show i don't know if it's true but i live in faith and hope so we'll see I've got to run off. I'm actually going to a graveyard right now. But I hope you all have a lovely Halloween. This has been Witch Hassle. Good luck with the work ahead. <laughs>